Because the arts enrich, transform, unite, and strengthen us through shared understanding and expression. Because the arts are magical and powerful, they increase compassion and understanding to make change, stimulate imagination, and nourish happiness. Because, because art has, has the power to change the world. Today on Because Radio, the Winnipeg Fringe Festival takes place this weekend and we'll learn about the important contributions volunteers make to the festival. Inriel's Footsteps brings Manitoba's history to life on an interactive tour. We visit the Prairie View Elevator Museum in Plum Coulee on a road trip. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker, SFC Pizzeria, feeds those in need through their Pay It Forward program. And we'll revisit highlights from the first season of Because in Effect. All this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio, episode number 13. My name is Robert Zirk. And with him as always is Sonny Promolo. How are you doing today, Sonny? Doing great. How about you, Rob? I'm doing well. It's been a pretty good summer so far, I must say. And uh, there's still a lot of summer left to go. Lots of things going on in the city as per usual in the summer months, for sure. And... Uh, you know, we've got a full show, and to start things off, we're going to be talking about one of the major summer festivals that is happening, starting, uh, it's already happening, actually, but uh, it really kicks into uh, gear this weekend, um, and that's our foundation feature focus today, is arts, culture, and heritage. So this week and all of next week marks the 31st annual Winnipeg Fringe Theatre Festival. It is the second largest fringe festival in North America, with performers and companies from Winnipeg as well as from across Canada and all around the world performing their own independent theatre productions. Uh, Sunny, do you attend the Fringe Festival? I do. What I really love, though, is hanging out at the Old Market Square there and just, you know, just being in the thick of things. Yes, I, I feel like the Fringe Festival really brings out the best in the Exchange District and and Old Market Square, and it really comes alive, especially for those uh, for that week and a half. That's always a fun time. I love going to the Fringe Festival myself. I don't know if I could name a favorite show. Do you have a particular one that stands out to you from over the years? Uh, I'm not going to be biased. Uh, they're all great. Fair enough. And yeah, I would have a really tough time. We only have 60 minutes for the show. So uh, yeah, we got to get things rolling. So I, I can't even begin to decide on what a favorite would be. There's been so many fantastic ones that I've seen over the years and look forward to seeing uh, lots of great shows this year as well. And one thing that is for sure about the Fringe Festival is that volunteers are essential to making the festival happen each and every year. I spoke with Karen Sue She's the volunteer manager at the Winnipeg Fringe Festival to learn a little bit more about the role that dedicated volunteers play in contributing to the festival and the overall festival experience. This week's foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on arts, culture, and heritage. 
Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am speaking with Karen Sewell. She is the volunteer manager for the Winnipeg Fringe Festival. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So to start things off, the, the Winnipeg Fringe Festival is one of the larger summer festivals in Winnipeg. You can't really attend the festival or enjoy the festival experience without seeing the many, many volunteers that are out and about helping to make the festival possible. Um, could you start off by telling me why are volunteers so crucial to the Winnipeg Fringe Festival each year? Well, basically, the festival can't operate. Uh, the amount of tickets that are sold, and of course, you know, everything's manual in at the Fringe because we're at nice little tables on the street so that everybody can find us easily. Uh, it just takes a huge amount of manpower just to get the ticket selling. I would say that's probably 600 people in an in and of itself that handle the ushering, the ticket selling, and then the reconciliation of all that paperwork. And then the other places where you see the, the volunteers is out on the street in Old Market Square working with the kids in that uh, and all those areas. You literally cannot take one step in a festival without being uh, greeted by a volunteer. So you mentioned that there's about 600 volunteers each year. Well, there's 800 altogether, but 600 alone is what it takes to handle the ticket selling side of things. How long have the longest serving volunteers been a part of the Winnipeg Fringe? Because even in, at some venues, you can see some familiar faces. That's right. So we've had volunteers right from day one, right from the very first year of the festival that have been participating. I'd say there's probably a dozen or more that, uh, that have volunteered every year since 1988. Wow. So over really like 30 years at this point, over 30 years at this point. Yeah, over 30, because it's our 32nd festival. So, And that's the interesting thing. Even when I haven't been working for the Fringe, I've come down and I can go, oh, look, there's Bob and Pat. There's Alan. <laughs> They're still here. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned ticket sales and, and people being out and about at, uh, at Old Market Square. Are there any other capacities in which people volunteer for the Fringe Festival? Yes, there are. So we have people working in our beverage pavilions, uh, selling drink tickets and serving beverages. We have a whole team of volunteers that keep the festival areas very neat and tidy. They're called the Enviro Team. And uh, what's fun about being on the Enviro Team is that you're really out amongst the audience and the outdoor performers in Old Market Square. So it's sort of like you're volunteering, but you're in the middle of a great big, huge party all the time. Uh, we have this year's the 20th anniversary of Kids Fringe. So we have a team of volunteers that run all kinds of um, activities and songs and performers come out and they do crafts and play games. And that's free for, for all ages and families come down together uh, into Kids Fringe to do that. And then we have um, the team leaders who are kind of a, a layer of supervisory volunteers that help coordinate all the efforts. And they work um, in the venues themselves as well as in those other things like the info tent and the beer tent and Kids Fringe. We talked about people who come back every single year to volunteer for the Fringe and who have been at it for, for more than 30 years. Why do people volunteer? What is it that makes people want to come back and give of their time again and again? Well, they love to see shows. So there's a real opportunity there for every ship that you volunteer. You can see a show for free. So it's a very economical way to get through the Fringe with 180 different shows. If you were going to pay to for your entire Fringe experience, you could sort of run up quite a personal bill in uh, ticket sales. So lots of them come for that reason alone, that they can get to go see shows. But we have lots of volunteers that actually just like to come down and be with people. They like to talk to people in the lineup and find out, you know, who's from out of town. And they form some really long-term lasting friendships. 
with their friends at the Fringe, and it might be the only time of year that they see them and they go see shows together. Uh, so th- that's the thing I've noticed. The other thing that the volunteers have said is that um, even though I haven't always been the volunteer manager, there's been lots of people involved with the volunteer department, they feel that the festival runs a really well-organized volunteer program. And so it's one of their first choices if they're, you know, a seasoned volunteer with different organizations. They've always said they love coming back to the Fringe because the festival just has down their sort of volunteer management uh, to a really smooth, smooth pace. You spoke about people making connections, and I'm wondering if you have a particular, an interesting story related to um, volunteering at the Fringe that you might be able to share with us. What I'm finding interesting is that we're now in a position where we've got families, like a legacy of volunteering starting, where people come down and they can volunteer with their with their children even at a young age, and then as as their children get older, they become volunteers in their own right. And they, you know, collect their own stamps on their ID card and get their own T-shirts. And, you know, they they volunteer side by side with their parents. And then eventually um, that child becomes a volunteer on their own. And uh, sort of you really start to understand, see that love of theater coming out in young people. And then that commitment to volunteering, giving back to their community, I think has just been fantastic. That's so cool. So, you know, growing up at the fringe and, and really, you know, being part of that community at an early age and growing with you. Absolutely. I mean, the approach to volunteering has um, really sort of come along in recent years. And we have moms with babes in arms who are more than capable of, you know, doing their volunteer duties and they have a young child with them. Uh, sometimes the child is handing out the programs while the mom is ushering. And, you know, it just, it's, it's such a nice family-oriented atmosphere now. It's really, really enjoyable to see. And then all those people then are like, oh, well, I started out as a volunteer, but now I'm producing my own friend show. <laughs> and volunteer this year. You're like, oh, now you're in the festival. That's great. So we're coming up on uh, this year's edition of the Fringe Festival. So I, I'm not sure if it might be a little bit too late for this year, but can people still apply to volunteer if they want to uh, if they want to help out? And how can they do so, if so? Absolutely. We're still accepting volunteers. Um, we do have about uh, 400 empty shifts, I mean, out of 10,000. So we're doing pretty good. We're scheduled, but we're, there's still room for more. Uh, there's a link right on our website, or you can come down to the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre to our volunteer hospitality area, and you can uh, sign up in person. If people want to find out details about volunteering online, uh, where could they go to get more info? To winnipegfringe.com. Right in the middle of our webpage, there's a link to finding out about volunteering. Fantastic. Karen, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to, uh, to mention about volunteering at the Fringe? We are just so appreciative that people in Winnipeg will come down and and give us their time to make sure this festival uh, works so smoothly and we, pro- we can provide this opportunity for the performers to mount their own shows. I'm just so grateful for the contributions from the people in Winnipeg to this festival. Well, Karen, thank you so much for speaking with me today and all the best with this year's Fringe Festival. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Robert. Up next, because radio producer Jeremy Morantz recently had a chance to visit the St. Boniface Museum to learn more about the In Riel's Footsteps tours that are taking place this summer and how the immersive experience provides visitors with a glimpse of Manitoba's history. (music) 
I'm Jeremy Morantz. I'm here with Tatiana Balkin, the Visitor Experience Coordinator at the St. Boniface Museum. We're standing right now here in the cemetery. We're surrounded by tombstones and looming in the background is the St. Boniface Cathedral. I just went on the In Real's Footsteps tour, which was a very immersive and engaging. It was more than a history lesson. There was a love story involved. As Visitor Coordinator, can you tell us what is In Real's Footsteps in an overall broad sense? In Real's Footsteps is sort of an interactive uh, scripted walking tour of the St. Boniface Cathedral Cemetery. So there are three costumed interpreters who sort of take you through um, the history, well, our local history of uh, certain important figures and important events that happened on this land and the land in the uh, in the St. Boniface area. Um, it's an hour-long tour and it includes some music, some interpretation and some cool storytelling. Why do you think it's important to bring history to life in, in that way, in an engaging way that people can actually immerse themselves in? So, um, excellent question. I find that a lot of the times um, history is presented in a very in a very dry way sometimes. Like at school, for example, you sit there, you listen, or you read, or, you know... it. It's, it's not necessarily brought to life, whereas when you follow this sort of tour, it is accessible to everyone, young and old, and it's a fun way to learn your history. Uh, what are some of the other programs that you run or are involved in coordinating? Um, so we have multiple programs going on this summer. Um, one of our other big ones that's aimed specifically at families is called Family Fun, or in French it's called La Récré au Musée. These are activities that are done throughout the summer every Monday and Wednesday um, in the afternoon from 12.30 to 3.30. And they sort of go over specific themes. Um, for example, like Métis beadwork would be one of them, the implication of the Grey Nuns in the St. Boniface area, and other important things as well. Um, we also have a murder mystery event or two of them actually one in French on July 31st and one in uh, sorry one in English on July 31st and one in French on August 7th um, we also have white glove tours for any of our members they get to do like an exclusive tour of our storage facilities um, which is going to be super fun I'm looking forward to that and we also have an end of your barbecue actually on August 28th so looking forward to that <laughs> why should winnipeggers um actively seek out uh, opportunities to learn more about uh, their history um that's a great question as well uh, <laughs> um you know what i think that it's important to know where we come from i think it's important to know um, our history. We've lived on this land, but there have been people on this land for thousands of years before us, and it's important to know um, that history so we can better approach um, sort of issues in our in a, in our day to day life today. I'm now here with Bailey Palomar, who's one of the actors in the In Real's Footsteps play slash interactive tour at the St. Boniface Museum. I just had the tour and uh, it was really entertaining and a lot of fun. So Bailey, uh, tell us what your role in the play is. Okay, so the unique thing about my role in the play is I'm always the same character. So her name is Angélique Nolin, and she was actually a real historical figure. She was the first lay school teacher in Western Canada. So in real life, she would have been at the colony teaching, teaching students here. And now I'm teaching a lesson to my class, which is the audience who comes see the play. Do you have a standout scene or part of the play that's always your favorite when you get to it? It's an hour long, so do you have a standout scene? 
Yes, I do. So there's a scene with Archbishop Taché, and he was the second Archbishop of St. Boniface. And throughout the play, um, there is a character who is not really a fan of Louis Riel because I'm in love with Louis Riel and he's in love with me. There's a bit of a love triangle there. So in this scene, he totally takes off his Archbishop Taché costume and gets all freaked out about Louis Riel. And uh, we made it a bit soap opera-esque this year. We have a lot of gasps in there and a lot of poses. And... I, it was actually my idea, and it turned out really well, and it's so fun to do every time, and I think the audience gets a kick out of it. So Absolutely. I certainly got a kick out of it. I, I, I wasn't expecting a love story to be interwoven. It uh, You guys really do a good job of making it entertaining. So how do you strike that balance of um, creating entertainment while also having the historical elements in there so people walk away feeling like they learned something? Well, I think it's a bit of a balancing act. As the teacher in the play, I'm often the one talking a lot about history and the other characters, Gertrude and Fanal, they will interject with fun facts or they're just joking around. And also even in our interactions with each other, even in the dialogue, that's another way to create that balance. So it's not just me giving all the historical facts. And also I think the love triangle story also helps um, add a bit more interest to the play as well. So you have historical facts, you have a love triangle, you don't know where Fanal is going to dig this hole. You have all sorts of fun things going on as well. And you also get to learn a lot. Plus there's costumes and singing, so you can't miss that. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, Bailey. Thank you so much for talking to me, Tatiana. So if people out there want to learn that history, learn about uh, the St. Boniface Museum, uh, if they want to participate in a tour like the one I just did, uh, what would you tell them to do? Where should they go? So our website is msbm.mb.ca. Um, we have a Facebook page. We also have an Instagram page if you guys feel like following. We po usually post all of our events and stuff on that. Um, a lot of our events are sign up or register online only. So that would be through our website. Um, yeah, we look forward to seeing everyone at the museum. Great. Tatiana, thanks so much for talking to me today. Well, thank you for having me, Jeremy. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next, the Because Radio Road Trip is making a bit of a U-turn, going from Morden to Plum Coulee, Manitoba. 20 years ago, it was a working grain elevator. Today, it's the Prairie View Elevator Museum, which houses artifacts related to the community's history in a unique setting that in and of itself illustrates a big part of the history of Plum Coulee and the surrounding area. Welcome to the Because Radio Road Trip. Today we're visiting the Prairie View Elevator Museum in Plum Coulee, Manitoba. Let's go. So I'm here today at the Plum Coulee Prairie View Elevator Museum, which is one of the more unique museums that we've had the chance to go to here on the road trip. Dorothy, thank you so much for the tour. I want to start off by asking a little bit about the history of the museum, because there's a, a pretty interesting history on how it came about. We're in a, a, an old grain elevator, essentially. Tell us about how it transitioned from a, an operating grain elevator to a museum. Okay, this elevator was built in 1975. It was one of the last wooden elevators that Poole built in Manitoba. And in 2001, uh, they closed up the elevator here in Plum Coulee, so it was empty. And that was also the year when uh, Plum Coulee had a centennial. 
and uh, we had invited many um, people that used to live in Plum Coulee to come back to Plum Coulee. And one of the guests that we had was Phyllis Lambert, who was the granddaughter to Sam Rosner, who was part owner of Rosner and Brownstone General Store in the years gone by. Sam Rosner had four daughters. One of the daughters, Sadie, married Sam Bronfman in 1922. They went on to acquire great wealth with the company that you may know as Seagrams of Canada. So they had four children, and Phyllis was one of them, and she was an architect by trade. She came to visit Plum Coulee, and she was intrigued by our town and this elevator, just like you guys were when you were up there. Mm -hmm. And she was very instrumental in the town purchasing this elevator. So with the money given to us by the Bromfund Foundation, donations from businesses, and grants and generous folks of Plum Coulee and surrounding areas, five projects were proposed and the fifth was developing the elevator to become an interpretive center on the main floor, offices on the next few floors, and then the restaurant at the very top. But to date, we're still working on making the elevator an interpretive center on the main floor with um, showing some of the farming practices. But the restaurant and the offices fell by the wayside when the recession hit and when the Bronfman Foundation also folded. And so then we had an empty elevator here for a while and the museum had a little shack on Main Street. And so then the town invited the museum to move into this facility. And so we have displays in about, I think, 15 or 16 of the bins, plus an observation bin where you can see right to the top, which is about 100 feet. Very cool. And, um, and amazing, you know, that that all turned around so quickly because the, basically the grain elevator had pretty well just closed and it was planned for, for demolition. So what a great way to save, you know, not only a, a, an important piece of Plum Coulee's history, but also to for that to be a location to preserve all that history. I want to talk a little bit about the structure of this building that we're in right now because it's it's very unique and you can see how, you know, there's different essentially the rooms of the museum are made through the cutting of these these old bins. Talk a little bit about the structure and and how that came together. It's much easier to see and explain it when you can see it, but uh, basically the whole elevator and all the bins are two by sixes laid on the flat and just piled up and nailed. Basically the whole elevator is made out of wood, very, very little steel in anywhere. Uh, they are all hoppered so that uh, they all come to a central point and then up the main uh, bucket elevators. The grain can go into different bins or into the rail car. There's a main truck scale in the driveway where the trucks are weighed and when they come in and when they go out. Tell us a little bit about the process. So where we're standing here is essentially the, the scale where, you know, where trucks would drive onto. Um, tell us a little bit about what would happen from there. We can see this sort of glass paneling where... Over the grain pit. After the truck is scaled, you would dump your grain in there. The elevator agent, as we call them, would uh, take samples of the grain. He'd run it through a small cleaner, the, the red one over there, uh, to take out the dockage, whatever is not grain. And then he'd use that percentage to dock the whole load. Then uh, he would put the grain into the right bin, as uh, this place has about 15 or more bins. And uh, then uh, he would work out um, the price, give you a, 
uh, slip, basically a check. He would do that after the truck is weighed again so that you know how many bushels you had on the truck. And most of the trucks uh, during that time were either a single axle or tandems. And I guess part of the reason some of these elevators were closed, uh, the bigger trucks were coming in, the semis. and the, So that changed uh, agriculture. And uh, the elevator agent, like I mentioned before, had to uh, load the elevator in the right sequence. You couldn't just uh, load it on one side because the elevator would lean precariously. So you had to load it evenly. I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the structure in and of itself is is amazing and, and definitely worth a, a trip as well. But I want to talk about some of the artifacts that are housed within the museum, within uh, what used to be the uh, the grain bins here. Give us sort of a, a snapshot of, of what people can find here from Plum Coulee's history and what are some of maybe the standout things that, that come to mind as things that people need to see while they're here? The people have been very generous and they have donated many artifacts. We have quite a few artifacts in our classroom uh, where people come by and they, everybody kind of remembers the school that they went to. And we have a kitchen, dining room, and living room bin. Each display is in, in a bin. Then we also feature um, a table and a set of dishes from the Queen's Hotel and a big pot-bellied stove from the Stewart hardware store. And then uh, we also display memorabilia from the sports that have been played in Plum Coulee. There used to be a marching band, so that we have some of the instruments and some pictures of that band. Uh, we had a Dr. McGavin here that was a doctor for 47 years, and we have some of his um, things from his office. And there's a cultural display with uh, Mennonite and Hutterite uh, clothing. Also now we have an indigenous display where we are building a teepee as well. We have many tools that they used to use and how they used to do laundry. And upstairs we have a collection of, somebody collected 800 tins and it's just sort of an interest um, collection and you can go up there and take a look. And the latest bin that was opened is now an observation bin. You can look right up to the top, which is about 100 feet. Tell us a little bit about participating in the Manitoba Heritage Trust program and what that's meant for the Prairie View Museum. Well, I'm Heather Unger, and I am from the Plum Coulee Community Foundation. So I'm the one that proposed uh, initially to the museum committee the new Heritage Trust program. We were very quick. I think we were one of the first ones to sign up. This elevator is extremely important to our community. We already have a fund in place to maintain the structure. So uh, that was developed 10 years ago. Uh, we developed the fund for the elevator, so it only made sense that we develop a fund for the inner operations of the elevator. Is there anything else you'd like to mention about the museum or a, a message that you'd like to uh, share with our listeners before we go? Well, we're open to the public in summer, Tuesday to Saturdays, 10 to 4. So they are welcome to come and take a look and um, see what we have here. And if you can't come those days, uh, you can have a tour by appointment and uh, the number is on our website. And how can people find the museum if they're headed to Plum Coulee or what phone number or website would they, uh, would they contact? It is luckily the tallest building in town. Oh yeah, so you can't miss it. I guess that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very easy, it's right on Main Street. Okay. Fantastic. So just look for the, the grain elevator and that'll take you there. Mm -hmm. 
So if you're driving along Highway 14 and come near Plum Coulee, you will see it. And uh, we also have a sign at the highway there so that they can know that it's a museum. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dorothy, Brian, and Heather for speaking with me today uh, and for the wonderful tour of the Prairie View Elevator Museum. And uh, definitely come check it out. Thanks for joining us on the Because Radio Road Trip. We'll see you next week, same time, different place. Thanks, Robert. Up next, I've been highlighting impact makers in our community as part of our Winnipeg Impact Makers segment. This week, we'll learn about how SFC Pizzeria feeds those in need through their Pay It Forward program. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sunny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Vikas and Shivani Sanger, owners of SFC Pizzeria, a family-owned gas station pizzeria located on Salter Street in Winnipeg's North End. Thanks for coming on Because Radio. Hello, everybody. I'm Vikas Sanger from SFC Pizzeria. And I'm Shivani Sanger from SFC Pizzeria. To get started, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Who are Vikas and Shivani? I came from India in 2010 as an international student. Then I did my schooling. After that, I bought this business in 2016. Maybe three months ago, I built a pizzeria restaurant in it. When I opened up my pizzeria restaurant, I saw homeless people, they are coming, and they want food for free, or somebody don't even have a full $1 for to buy a slice. So I think about we have to do something for them. Was there something growing up as children or anything like that that really gave you that giving spirit? We both are from India. I'm also an international student here. I came in 2010. We're back home country. That's our teachings that we cannot deny to anybody for food or for water, for anything. That's our parents taught us as well. So the story behind is this like kindness. That's the thing, like kind heart. That's what you can say and bless each other by being kind and you know spread kindness as much as you can doesn't matter where you go that's what we both learned when we were like raising up by our parents like in india everybody knows like it's a lot of great population in back home there right so there are a lot of poor people in our country too like less fortunate who cannot afford food every day and stuff so in our like daily routine home like my parents and like Vika's parents used to give food away on daily basis like sometime in temples sometime area where like people are in need so that's how we learned from there and when we moved to Canada 10 years back we see people here in the north end where people are in more need and when we opened up gas station in 2016 at that time, we noticed like there are a lot of people who were trying to steal stuff in his store because people can't afford eating and stuff. And then they're just trying to steal chocolates, chips and everything all the time. So that kind of break our heart that they can't afford food and, you know, like they have to steal to eat. What made you want to start this business to begin with? When I, we open a restaurant and we find like so many people coming there, coming at the restaurant, and they don't even have money to buy a slice for a dollar. 
so then i discussed with my wife should we, we have to do something for them because we cannot give let the food every day because we just open a new restaurant we cannot even afford it so then we started like paid for paid for our program so the customer can donate a one dollar for somebody else who cannot even afford the slice so that's how we started a paid for program can you walk me step by step how this paid forward program works from start to finish how does it how does it work so it's like like it's a, anybody come at, at our pizza restaurant then they buy something we ask them like do you want to donate a dollar one dollar for any homeless people or any needy people then they say if they say yes then we can we explain them like they have to write any blessing on the sticky notes and they can stick on the wall and that's how it works then any homeless people will come and they can take the sticky note from the wall and they give it to us and we can give them a dollar slice as simple as that wow that's amazing so essentially you have a a couple walls here actually that are filled with sticky notes as you say Uh, and these are just from the kindness of people's hearts you know donating to give to others in need why do you feel it's important for businesses like yours to do this type of thing for the community is there anything you would like to say to other businesses about why they should be more involved basically is that it's going to end the hunger in like this neighborhood and on in Winnipeg if other businesses will just pick up this idea it's going to be very helpful for the people who are hungry out there and they nobody's going to sleep hungry that's the that's going to be the goal and this Winnipeg city is going to be beautiful and after that like I will just say that like whole Canada like whole world should just start this program. I know a lot of families, including my own, who come to Canada in hopes to support their families back home. Uh, why was it important to you to give back to this community as well? Like, what is your because? My main motive is nobody sleep hunger around this area. If they want food, they can come at my store and they can get a free, uh, free slice. They're, and they won't able to sleep uh, empty stomach. Your care and support for less fortunate have been amazing, and it's obvious that people who come into your pizzeria also care. What are some of the stories or feedback that you've heard so far from the people that have come in? People are being so kind, and people are really supporting us so much. We started with one wall here, and uh, like CBC News and other TV, like uh, you know, TV. They just uh, put it on the TV, and after that, people are just coming in, like, one after another from, like, south and north and, like, from everywhere, all over the city, and they are supporting us. So, like, kindness does matter to everybody, I guess. People doesn't know, like, the way how to help these people because, you know, like, if you give them money, they, you don't know what they're going to do with that. So people are a little scared. So that's why, like, people came in and they shared their stories to us that they want to do something for people, but they don't know what they can exactly like there is a like the guy he, he came like almost like for four days for the food and his welfare check came in and he donated like two bucks for somebody else and that's the change big change in the community and goes like it's a circle you know and we will be like very happy around this area like then there will be less crime for the stealing you know is there anything else that you would like to add about SFC Pizzeria or the Pay It Forward program? Anything at all? Yeah, you know, we're like it's not like all the cities helping us. It's from all over the Canada. Like people me calling from Edmonton, people calling from Calgary, people calling from Toronto, and they are donating like from e-transfer and all. They want to donate. Like everybody is calling from all over Canada, and they were they are helping us. You know, 
and that's I just want to thank all the community for growing this paid for program yeah. yeah and also I just want to say thanks to all over Canada that people are just trying to help and being kind and spreading kindness everywhere so like it's blessing which they are blessing people so blessing each other is going very well thanks a lot whole Canada Again, SFC Pizzeria, located on 120 Salter Street near Selkirk Avenue. Be sure to check it out, grab a slice of pizza, leave a kind note, and help feed someone in need. I'd like to thank Vikasan Shivani, owners of SFC Pizzeria, for sharing their story of impact. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Pomolo, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up next, Nolan Bicknell will join us to share some highlights from the first season of the Because and Effect podcast. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Nolan Bicknell. He is the host of Because and Effect, the Winnipeg Foundation's weekly podcast. Nolan, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me back. So the first season wrapped up last week. Mm -hmm. You had 12 fantastic interviews from Winnipeggers who have contributed a lot to our city and learning about the motivations behind why they give back and why they care so much about their given cause. Um, So now that the first season has wrapped up, I wanted to kind of look back at what what were some of the highlights for you and in particular about uh, the Just Because segment. Sure. So tell our listeners a little bit about the Just Because segment, first and foremost, if they're not familiar Absolutely, with it. Absolutely, yeah. So at the end of every podcast, we ask the same seven questions to every one of our guests. Uh, questions ranging from what's the first cause you ever cared about? Um, what's something you would do in support of your cause if money, logistics, and politics were no issue? Uh, and then ranging to different questions like what's the best advice you've ever been given? Or um, what advice would you give to your 10-year-old self right now if you could talk to him or her? And this has become part of my favorite part of the whole podcast because it's really interesting to hear what people say. Uh, we kind of just drop these questions on them out of nowhere. And and the questions were sort of formulated to, to evoke a, a interesting response for a lot of them. Um, so I, I, today I was hoping to just kind of go through the first six episodes, the first half of season one, and we can bring some highlights uh, from each of those episodes and we can kind of show some of the highlights from the just because segment. Let's do it. So let's start. Uh, let's start backwards and uh, work our way to sure. episode number one. Uh, but let's start with episode six, which featured Sister Leslie Sackerman. She's the executive director of Holy Names House of Peace. Uh, she was instrumental in starting Rossbrook House. Um, she's done so much great work in the community. Tell us a little bit about your conversation with her. Absolutely, one of my favorite conversations episode six from the whole season sister leslie is such an absolute delight uh the whole hour we spent together was just filled with gems of wisdom um she's such an empathetic and sympathetic person to the sort of plights that people are going through in the world that 
it's impossible not to walk away from that conversation or even just listening to the conversation, feeling inspired and wanting to help uh, your fellow man and, and fellow people here in Winnipeg. One of the questions I asked in the uh, Just Because segment is, what's the biggest stigma surrounding your cause? And I loved what Sister Leslie had to say. Well, what scares me and what I hear sometimes is that, like, you know, all, with all these immigrants and refugees coming, we, you know, we're not ready and we we can't do this and we can't do that and they're going to use up our health care and resources and... Uh, that I find really heartbreaking because we have only to win. My experiences were the winners. Yeah. Um, and I, that really hurts because when you look at the size of Canada, when you look at our wealth, if we want to solve this, if we want to, it's not a problem. Pardon me, I shouldn't have even said solve. But if yeah. we want to welcome and live fully and uh, then we need to welcome and celebrate newness of life. Yeah. And then in episode five, you spoke with Stephen Shipper, who up until recently was the artistic director of Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. He's since retired and accepted a position in Brantford, Ontario. Um, but before... Um, but just before his retirement, you had the chance to speak with him about the contributions he's made to Winnipeg's artistic community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... It was a great conversation. Stephen was a very thoughtful and very poetic speaker. Like you could tell when, whenever we would talk about something, he'd always have a really interesting metaphor or a really cool way to phrase something. And I loved almost all of his answers. When we spoke uh, about the Just Because segment, it was a really interesting point because we spent pretty much half an hour, 40 minutes talking about the arts and his contribution to the arts and, and just theater in general. But then when we started talking about... Um, the just because question, he had a completely different cause that he wanted to talk about, which kind of threw me for a little bit of a curveball, and it was really interesting. So I'll share some of that with you now. As the child of Holocaust survivors, the first cause I remember caring about was the fight against anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. I would teach every child that anti-Semitism is evil, and people who hate Jews are evil bigots, and I'd continue teaching that truth for generations until there were no more anti-Semites. There's no easy root cause to blame anti-Semitism on, like slavery. The origins of anti-Semitism lie in the distant past. Its earliest example may be the biblical pharaoh turning on the Jewish inhabitants of Egypt. Jews encompass race, religion, and culture, And anti-Semitism also encompasses racism, religious hatred, and cultural hostility. It's why people of Jewish origin can be anti-Semitic, hating Mm. not themselves, but Jews. Mm -hmm. On episode four, you spoke with Cynthia Drabot, who is the executive director of the North End Women's Center. Um, And the center provides resources and support and opportunities uh, to help women um, who are in the North End and uh, as well as their children. Yeah, Cynthia, much like uh, Sister Leslie from episode six, Cynthia is also a saint. She's such an incredible person working to help some of the most in need in our city. Uh, I loved our conversation as well. We talked about vulnerability and and just the importance of taking care of one another. And uh, I loved 
when I asked um, if money, politics, and logistics were no issue, what would she do in support of her cause? I wish that we could want to live more equally and respectfully and kindly with each other. And those might sound like simple words, but they're not. not I mean that with depth. I mean, um, you know, truly respecting each other and not making excuses like, you know, earlier in the podcast, you mentioned the piece about, you know, if, if someone was listening to this and rolling their eyes, mm-hmm. right? I wish we didn't roll just our eyes. Just check that moment. Right. Yeah, just, why am why I am rolling I my eyes? Yeah. Why am I reacting yeah. to that? Where did I get where, that belief? Yeah. Where's mm-hmm. that coming from for me? So I, if I could get people to, like, I just feel like we, we wouldn't have half of the issues we have today if we were just more open to each other. Your third guest on Because and Effect, um, if you're not hearing him on your radio every weekday morning, you've no doubt uh, seen him at a local charity event. He's been such a big booster for the city, Ace Burpee. Yeah, Ace is awesome too. And almost all the podcasts, we're trying to have people on who are going to inspire you, right? Who are going to try to help you think about different causes that you might care about or different people in need in our city and just try to just raise the general level of empathy here in Winnipeg. And a great way to do that is to kind of ask the advice that they've been given in their lives. And and that's become one of my favorite questions that people have answered for us. So I asked Ace, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And I loved what he said. I don't even know if someone gave it to me, but it's like, I wish I followed it more, but I'm good with the one part of it, not the other part, but like you're never as like truly great as you think you are, but it's never as bad. Mm. I don't follow through always on the never as bad, but it it truly isn't. As in if you're if you can just take a second, I say take a step back all the time and I use that in so many different ways, but things are likely, very likely not as dire and bad as you think they are and stay humble and and uh be have some gratitude i don't do that nearly enough you also had the chance to speak with artist and activist cal barteski who is she's very well known for her script art um, but she's also well known for her polar bear art and her activism in the area of polar bear research here uh, here in manitoba and she's even started a charitable fund to support those efforts yeah the polar bear fund at the winnipeg foundation uh, cal started that and Again, she was just another great example of a Winnipegger who's doing her part to make the world a better place about the causes cause that she cares about, namely, you know, polar bear health and, and the environment in general. She's she's just a huge proponent for that. Another one of our questions is, what advice would you give to your 10-year-old self? And I loved what Cal said about that. You're doing the right thing. Um, I think what we forget about being a kid is that kid... Kids don't think about long-term plans or like how this looks on my resume, right? You're mm-hmm. 10. You're just like, I want to paint animals. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to paint animals. Yes, do that. Don't question it. Even even now, today, people say, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a polar bear artist. And then they take one step back and they kind of go, but why? Yeah. I'm like, because they're awesome. Like, that's just what I want to do, guys. And last but not least for the debut episode of Because and Effect, you spoke with Scott Oak, who 
is a uh, CBC sportscaster, and uh, he's been working to establish the Bruce Oak Recovery Center here in Winnipeg in honor of, uh, of his son, Bruce. Um, tell us a little bit about your conversation with Scott. Yeah, he that's always going to have a special place in my heart. Being episode one of the podcast, we've had so much positive um, feedback from that episode, and so many different people have reached out to say, like, to me and to Scott, just thank you for for sharing your story and and for for being a proponent of mental health, of addiction, and with, for starting the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Um, I'm going to go back to the best piece of advice for Scott because I mean the whole conversation was filled with same with Stephen Shipper, filled with um, sort of little nuggets of advice and little metaphors and little moments that I'll for that I'll cherish forever um, but when I asked Scott what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given I loved his answer and I'm never going to forget it there is a difference between entitlement and gratitude let me think about that entitlement robs you of your joy and compassion because you think you deserve this mm-hmm. or I'm entitled to mm-hmm. that or whatever right gratitude is the, really the beginning of the thought that there's enough for everyone and that it should be shared in my personal case um, you know commentators can especially in my job, can start to think, you know, well, I'm entitled to that. And, uh, hmm. you know, they, they have to uh, uh, give me a raise or whatever. Access but to, I'm not yeah. really entitled to anything more than doing a good enough job one week that they'll have me back the next. And I should be thankful that I have that opportunity. So um, I, uh, I guess I, I learned that uh, at, at Salome, and I've, uh, I think about that a lot. Wow. So the Just Because segment has really provided some... Um, some incredibly insightful and thoughtful answers from, you know, all of these individuals who really care about their particular cause and about, you know, making the world a better place for everyone. Yeah, I don't think we realized when we were kind of coming up with these questions how profound some of the answers would be. We just kind of wanted to have something that would be a consistent, you know, set of questions, a a consistent segment on the show that people could kind of look forward to. But it's turned into something that's really kind of anchored the show and created this opportunity for moments and opportunity for connection and opportunity to create these these little memories that people are going to take away at least i will and i hope people who listen to the podcast will take away as well that's great and so if you want to hear the full um just because question and answer segments from all the guests we featured today or from the uh, the episodes 7 to 12, which are also online as well. You can visit becauseandeffect.org. That's becauseandeffect.org. Um, you can also find Because and Effect on all of the major podcasting platforms, be it Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, because an effect is there as well. Uh, Nolan, uh, thank you again so much for joining me today and sharing some highlights from the first season of Because an Effect. Thanks. Thanks for having me and uh, have a great week. That's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. 
Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. And if you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360, or you can email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Sonny Pomolo. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great weekend.